Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. I am one of the hosts, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All the way from Baltimore, Maryland, my buddy, Jeff Simpson. It is fall, y'all. Down in uh, swampy, hot, disgusting, humid, sumter, <laughs> South Carolina, Delmar Pete. Hello, hello. I thought we were going to get mad about that. All right. Together. <laughs> oh, when they're not together, streaming by himself in Safety Harbor, Florida, Andrew Larson. Andrew, I like how you're still a little off center like Tim should be sitting there. <laughs> I know. It is not at all fall here. It's like 93 degrees and Ooh. I've sweat through two shirts already oh, today. Dude, the last couple so- days have been like highs in the low 70s. We've started in oh. the low in the low sixties. It's been beautiful. Andrew, yeah. not where, here. Where, where's Timothy? Tim is uh, Disneying with his family. I thought I was his priority, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so uh, on the day of recording, what, what park is he at right now? He is Hollywood Studios. All right. Do you know is is he riding Ride of the Resistance right now? Uh, the last I heard, he did not get the ten o'clock. <sighs> check-in time that is necessary for Rise because they didn't get to the parking lot until 940. And so uh, we'll find out. I'm sure he will be texting me in the next eight or nine minutes if they got the two o'clock offering. Otherwise, he's going to have some very frustrated children. So you're saying the Lord's judgment is upon him for missing this podcast. (laughs) There's six other days a week that he could take his family to Disney. Like, skip a Sunday morning, buddy. It's cool. You're fine. You don't need to be at church, but you need to be on this podcast. podcast. Hey, listen, tell him, text him and tell him we're recording and we want live updates on the, The uh, the, yes, Tim updates at Disney. On it. Thank Um, you. So uh, real quick, how was your week of ministry? I want to hear like uh, anything interesting. Andrew, I heard you had some tech difficulties because you decided to download illegal software to watch uh, sports or something. (laughs) Thank Uh, you for clarifying what I was watching. He's downloading downloading torrents on the church computer. (laughs) No, we uh, it was so frustrating because it was completely my fault. So we have an Orbi system throughout the church for our Wi-Fi, which works out pretty pretty well we've never had any like wi-fi issues um i have no it's netgear's newest way to sell okay. the like the whole home so it's like it typically it comes with one main hub and then you have little satellites that go throughout and so we have a satellite in the worship center and someone had upgraded to a newer system so they gave us their orby system which was identical to what we had so i was like sweet i can reset this satellite add it as a third satellite for us and and that way we can plug our streaming computer directly into it via ethernet if we want to and it completely killed our internet in the service so we've done six months of streaming without a single issue and here at the end of september we have our service that we can't get anything to stream anything to work and of course it didn't stop it didn't start having issues until we were 20 minutes into the service so they heard the music and then it was hey about time for the sermon nothing is going to work and it was completely my fault so frustrating dude isn't that the worst like i feel like that's the bane of every every church is like wi-fi goes down at the most in a it can be fine for the six days that nobody's in a building yeah and right when you need service well, and it was, and I knew it was my fault. And, but then it's also our tech guy 
is like tapping me on the shoulder of the last song before I'm about to start preaching. So then the message starts and I'm like, ah, crap, because my brain's just trying to play IT professional instead of preacher. When the Don't you hate when that starting. happens? Like when yeah. you got to lead a small group or preach, but like something like completely throws you off, not like a life wrecking thing, but like a tech failure and mm-hmm. you cannot get into the zone. Is that, ha- that's had to happen to y'all. That happened to me last week. I was, uh, I was doing a life group last nope, week. Happened to nobody. <laughs> no, happened to nobody. I was like, well, I'm just going to continue this. We're going to pick it up. No, last week I was working on a talk because a local um, private school asked me to come speak. I was working on the talk and, uh, and it, you ever, I just had mental block and I had a life group coming up and I had been working on this talk for like five hours. And then all of a sudden I had to lead a life group and I was just out of the zone. And I was like, Lord, this is one of those times you can have to carry me. We were in first John. So I was like, we're going to talk about the light today. And hopefully uh, they realize that the light's not on in my head right now. So just real talk. Yeah. I mean, I do know, uh, I remember the anxiety of our first online service that Mm -hmm. like, like right when COVID shut everything down and we were like, okay, how do we even do this? And we rearranged our sanctuary, you know, put, we had like three different cameras. Like we were doing so much stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, on any given Sunday, there is like a way to do service if you lose stuff, right? Like if you lose the sound guy, we can figure it out. If you lose the lighting guy, we can figure it out. If you only have one musician, like just the lead singer worship guy, like you can figure it out and you can do bare bone services. But like if your camera breaks or the Wi-Fi is gone, your entire service is, is, is like, yeah. I'm going to be out there Facebook living with my phone like this, like, Hey, and then John said, and like, it's going to be weird, you know? And so like, I think about like how, how vulnerable we are now with this online service stuff, because it like, it, there's more stuff out of our hands that we can't like pivot where like, you know, if, if the drummer gets sick, I'll get on the cajon, right? Like we, you, if the internet goes out, I can't be like, let me get on spectrum real quick. Like there's no, there's no option here to do alternatives. You know, let me hotspot for my phone to stream out. It doesn't work like that, you know? So it's difficult, man. It's crazy. So the week in March before the shutdown happened, um, I had taken all my gear home and, you know, just by one of the really things that has been a blessing, but because we've, Tim and I have been doing another video podcast for the past couple of years. I've got all this gear in my office and I was fairly familiar with it, but we knew that a big pivot was going to be happening. So it was our last week live service before we decided we kind of had to cancel everything. And I had brought all my gear home over the weekend and I forgot my uh, Elgato capture device. And so Sunday morning, it's like 9.50 and I'm realizing I can't go on Facebook Live with the computer, with the camcorder, with any of the setup. And so... But we've told people, hey, if you don't feel safe, stay at home. And so I had my iPhone in the back of the room propped up. And I was like, well, there's I didn't have an iPhone tripod. So I put it behind a clock that we have hanging on the wall. So like the nail was balancing the phone. The clock was holding <laughs> it in place. And I checked on my – it was an older iPhone that I had. So I checked on my phone and, and the video looked good. It was you know it zoomed in just enough. It's like this is great. I got home and the whole video had the clock ticking every second in the video so it looks fine (laughs) but there was like the old school you know clock in the back of a worship center tick 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 for an hour and 10 minute service it was terrible i to be to be fair most most pastors of churches that aren't like massive are some of the most creative fellas you will ever meet 
It's true. Because they you can't just like throw a budget at it. It's like, I, have you seen these pictures online of like a pastor? He's got like two chairs balanced on top of each other with a ladder going between them. And his lighting system is on the ladder and there's an iPhone dangling under it. I'm like, that's actually pretty creative. Have you seen the um, – the, there's a couple of fail videos that have been happening where it's like – obviously it's like the pastor's kids that are like running the stream and they're like the kids <laughs> – the one I saw – I've seen two identical videos but they're from like different churches where the pastor's kids are like messing with the features on Facebook Live yes. and they, tur- yes. they turn oh, the gosh. camera on them and they're like, oh, oh no. <laughs> and they like hide. Like, I've seen oh, two. A. James Clyden says, is that your kids? <laughs> oh, stuff on Facebook Live. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen two live. I've seen two uh, stream fails where it's like these kids are just messing with the features on Facebook Live, and they flip the camera orientation on themselves while the pastor is preaching. I can just only imagine if you're preaching and you look at the kids behind the camera and they all flee from the camera like in shame. Like, what did that could possibly mean? It's yeah, or their face like, goes white, like oh. And <laughs> <laughs> oh man! If I How do you discipline that, them later? I got. I, don't know. I got. I'm gonna try to find the videos and clip them and put them on Instagram because those are so. Those they're, they're, the faces of the kids are so funny. Hey, um, don't know how to segue this, but hey, my week like, was good too. Oh, don't care. Um, okay. so <laughs> so last week we asked the question of um, uh, hey, we we have a question today. What's your most embarrassing technology fail? And I want to say this: I have actually got some feedback from last week's episode which might be literally the, the funniest episode we've ever done. Multiple people who are not even in ministry have watched it and have shared it just so they can hear James's part, Andrew's part, and Delmo's part of the mistakes. And what's funny is, like, I thought – we got James on the show. I thought this is the most ridiculous story we'll ever hear. No, it got worse when we heard Andrew's story, and then it got no. way worse. We it, like, <laughs> it increased in the cringe, and the and it was just so great. I, I got text messages from people who are not in ministry who are like, I've shared this with all my friends. This is the most amazing story time I've ever heard. And it was it was so, so funny. So we asked the question, what fails the technology you've had? And so many people did not respond that we got one person <laughs> to respond to us. Uh, My amazing. assumption is they all have horrible, terrible stories that they're too ashamed to tell. <laughs> or like, they meant they meant to ask out the teenage girl. That's right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. Oh, yikes. Yeah, the, the statute of limitations are still in effect, so they can't share it right. <laughs> but Nathan Kingsley um, in the Practically Pastoring Facebook group responded. The only person that responded, he said this. I got a call from my senior pastor while I was doing number two, who I have a great relationship with. And I answered with, what's up? Just dropping a deuce at the moment. And his response Hey, man, you're on speakerphone with me and the elder board. <laughs> Yikes, guys. <laughs> like, I, I wish I knew how he got out of that. But that's that's could you imagine just like you don't get out of that. You just never I hope do he it wasn't again. like up for ordination or something. You know, this was the call about that. It's, it, it's budget season. It's, it's trying to get elders to approve the budget. So, hey, Nathan, uh, first off, we feel your pain. Um, that, that shows us the same way how we never make phone calls with Siri. We should also assume every phone call from a senior pastor, no matter how close you are with them is serious and never like be jovial until the coast is clear. Um, But with that being said, you're the only one that responded. So I'm going to give you a t-shirt. So I'll reach out to you. You can reach out to me. 
uh, give me your size and the address. We're going to send you a practically pastoring shirt. And with that being said, also, we are very close to that number of 500. We're still we a are. bit away. So, hey, if you haven't subscribed to our Instagram account, make sure you do that. Because once we hit 500, we're going to start throwing out shirts like Oprah, okay? And then uh, uh, if you join our Facebook group, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We, we want to grow this Frank. so we can give out these shirts. Can I make an offer right here on the show that I did not tell you about? Um, I yes, have a random – you know how you can order random boxes off of Amazon of, of stuff? They just shove in a box and ship it to your house and you don't know what it is? I've, I, yes, I've heard of that, yes. I've, I've got one of those come to my house. And if we, if, if we want like Why? the last – He's Why? on the same <laughs> websites that Andrew's on that gets viruses. That's how he my, gets them. <laughs> no, my brother-in-law is in the Navy with excess liquid assets. So he's like, hey, I'm sending you this box. But I know that there is a there's everything ranging from um, toys to dog, um, like chew things to like um, earbuds to um, baking. There's all kind of weird stuff. If we if you want as the, when we get to the group, the last 15 people who get us to there, we we will we will draw random stuff out of this box and we will just bless the heck out of them with all, cat all right. toys. <laughs> so here's the thing: if you if if you're if you're listening to this podcast, get your friend to join the group and then give us their address and that's practically a pastor. pastoring. We'll yes, that's a pastor, and we will send them free gifts um the gifts may not be good but they will be sent with love which is very good there you have it and i'll be a hand uh, we'll sign it by hand because that matters we'll, we'll figure <laughs> we'll figure it out we're gonna electronically sign pdfs just gonna, because just gonna up distance. it yeah i i support it someone's gonna win some stuff nathan you got a shirt um, if you want a shirt, get people to sign up for the Instagram account, and then we're going to blow it up and give out some of these shirts. All right. Uh, we have a great show ahead of us. we got some good clergy cliff notes. We have an amazing interview with James Sabin about burnout. A lot of you guys, after last week's episode, we talked about leaving the churches or why pastors are leaving churches. And, and a conversation that was brought up often is, is how do you handle burnout? Uh, literally, my friend James Sabin has a podcast all about burnout that we're going to hear about in a second. But before we do that, let's enter into this next segment that we like to call Clergy Cliff Notes. Cliff Notes. Clergy Cliff Notes. Here's what pastors are talking about today. That's that's it. That's the jingle, guys. I love it. Hey, uh, we got some great Clergy Cliff Notes today, uh, one from Jeff and one from Delmar. Uh, Jeff, get us started. Tell us about your Clergy Cliff Note. Uh, well, I was sent a uh, PDF document, which actually is from InterVarsity Press, and it is called Practices for the Election Season. It is about a uh, – it's a 14-page document. It's got a bunch of different sections in it, and it uh, just is basically a tool – for, um, you know, giving yourself some practices for uh, the, an election year in, in particular. So at the end of the document, there are some kind of regular old, old rhythms, it calls it just spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Um, but the beginning of the document is very specific ones for kind of the moment we're finding ourselves in. So let me just read, I'm going to just read you the kind of the, the headlines or the, um, the section headings. So the first section heading is new rhythms, practices to prepare for the election season. Uh, it takes you through some information intake practices. 
meaning like how are you taking information in? Are you taking information for all from one side of things or are you taking information in from both sides? Um, there's some great questions uh, like for, here's one. What sources do I rely on? Do they mostly lean one way or are they more diverse? Hint, this this one might require opening yourself up to the observations of your community and letting them help you answer according to the patterns they see in your life. Um, that's one section. The next section is kind of best practices for social media, uh, which is a really great thing. The first best practice is take a break, which, uh, kind of recently I just did a two week break. Uh, and I have found myself, uh, it was super beneficial. Like I have not been back on Facebook anywhere near the level I was, and I am nowhere near as anxious as I was. I'm much more present with my family. So it's definitely a rhythm I'm going to continue to do. Um, and again, there are some uh, great leading questions there. Best practices for real life conversations, which is kind of what, Dell you're going to get to in a minute. Um, and so again, more, more questions here to kind of guide yourself. And then it walks you through some what it calls old rhythms or spiritual disciplines. Um, and actually talks through a section on the liturgy of politics, which is an interesting idea. And I'm actually reading a book right now called, um, the liturgy of politics and, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So my question to you guys is kind of what things are you doing to help your folks, uh, prepare for the election season? How are you helping them frame, uh, the conversations and the information they're taking in? Because in my experience in the church, it's very rare in my church to find somebody who actually is kind of um, not center in terms of just finding the middle of everything, but uh, more of a political moderate in terms of uh, being able to, to be critical of both ends of the, the spectrum because we're very polarized right now. So what are you guys doing to help your folks? It sounds like a better word. You, the centered people is kind of the hard ones to find right now. Yeah. I, I, I like, I saw this, movie and i'm going to just keep promoting it until people cancel me but like the 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 social dilemma has been w one of the most like thought-provoking documentaries that i've seen in a long time and i think one thing that this is talking about is like exposing yourself to other voices or are you are you seeing only one voice and i think one thing that the social dilemma shows us is that even if we do want to be unbiased and hear other voices your social media is not set up for that. Like it's 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 created in such a way where you only hear one position because it wants you to continue clicking on things that you want to click on or whatever. And um and so I think what you said is actually really helpful, Jeff. Is like um, just getting off of social media or having practices that don't make social media as accessible. Like someone told me that they delete the Facebook app off their phone. So the, the only way they can access Facebook is through the browser, which is there, there's more steps to it. So it makes it more of a desire not to do it. Right. Um, and so I don't know. It's like the, the more, whether we're talking about politics or just even, you know, healthy practices, it's like, I, the 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 documentary said this, and I'm a victim of saying this too, or a complicit saying this is, you know, I used to say social media is just a tool, and it's how you use the tool, and it's like that's not what social media is. Social media is not a tool. Social media is actively trying to use you as a tool, and it's and it's trying to take advantage of us. And so I think us being more mindful of that is is going to be very helpful when we have difficult dialogue, things that are going on in our country or our world, and I don't know, it's it. It's it's complicated because like 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 Delmar just said it's like it's hard to find 
it feels like it's hard to find centered people because there are times where I talk to people and I'm like, oh, you're reasonable. But <laughs> but like it just feels like it's harder to find them um, because the loudest people on your feeds are the most biased people typically, right? Yeah. I think a really good way that I kind of frame this in my mind is, you know, before social media, if I wanted information, I would get a newspaper or I'd go to the library. And when you go to the library, everything is presented, right? So you have full access to the scope of thoughts and philosophies. But now with social media, if you click like on one post, the algorithm starts to suck you down that path a little bit more. So it's, it's like you walking into a library and now they're like, well, no, you can only go to this, this far right corner or this far left corner. And that's the only thing that's available. And the only time something from the far right corner will be in the far left corner is if the philosophy changes. You know, um, I was watching a podcast this week uh, um, on YouTube and basically they were making the point that, you know, there's this one woman and she's, she's a lesbian and she left the left and went to the right. She has a huge following. And now all these right people are following her. And they're like, why did I never hear of you before? And they're like, the, the first time she got plugged into people's algorithm was when the title of her YouTube video was, I'm leaving the left. And it immediately started sending it to conservative people. And now she's getting all this conservative pull for whatever that's worth. So I think that like first part is this, realizing you are being guided you are not the one guiding anymore. And you have to make a concerted effort to break out that echo chamber. And it even works the same way on Facebook. I have friends on Facebook who are a lot different than me politically and theologically. And I've noticed in the past ramping up of this political season, I'm seeing their posts less and less. And the weird thing is I specifically went to one of them's page yesterday, just kind of preparing, and she's posting the same amount. But for whatever reason, it's going in my feed less. And I think that's because I click on it less. I interact with it less. I still want to have it. So it's, it's becoming a lot more intentional. We have to have a lot more intentionality in trying to be centered or we ourselves are in the same echo chamber. We're doing a sermon series starting in a couple of weeks called Platforms. Um, and it's basically looking at the political platform of – uh, Pharaoh, really Joseph, but you know Pharaoh's platform, Nebuchadnezzar, and the idea is: look, if God could work through these guys, He can work through whatever idiot we elect. And I'm not saying that the candidates that we have are idiots. I'm saying, in general, if God could work through Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, there is no idiot that He could not work through. And so we're it's a three weeks. We're doing Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nehemiah with Nehemiah, I get the, the great built in joke of if you don't think that this has something that, you know, this book has anything to do with us in our current climate. Nehemiah is about a first time politician who was convinced that the way to make his nation great again was by building a giant wall. And so there's just few jokes that are better than that. <laughs> Although none of you guys are laughing. So maybe it's no, not as it's funny good. as it was. It's a good one. I like it. But so so we're, we're kind of going Old Testament. But with the main idea that, look, God worked through these people. So who are we to think that any one elected official that God can't work through? Yeah, that's good. I saw, I saw a tweet. And I hate that I saw a tweet was 
profoundly moved by it, but don't remember who it was or what exactly it said. But but it, <laughs> it, was it said sweet, something. Though. It said something to the extent of like, um, it's not like the Christian perspective is not about being moderate, but being otherworldly. It's yeah. like it's a it's about being from a kingdom that isn't here, and um, and I was just like I just, I was really affected by it because it's like. Like, I, Jeff, you posted something on your Twitter, I think, or Facebook, about someone who said, like, you know, they're a Mexican-American who's politically conservative but socially – I didn't say – they didn't say socially liberal. They said socially conscious or something. Compassionate. 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 That's right. Yeah. And, and basically they're like they're – like, they're politically homeless. And, 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 I, and I appreciate that because I feel like as a person of color who is, you know – maybe fiscally conservative, but also I like the word socially compassionate, I, like all that kind of stuff that, that that guy described. I was like, I feel that. And I don't have any problem with that because I don't think there is any man-made government system that the Christians squarely fit in. Right. And so we are left to the devices of choosing to vote or be a part of any kind of system um, that it is what it is. And we have to remember that I, I like to describe it. Like whenever you vote, you're kind of like, um, Ariel and little mermaid where she's like trying to sign a document to give her voice away. And she's like looking away, signing it. Like, it's like really hard for her. It's like all voting should kind of should feel like that because ultimately you're not voting in Jesus and you're not, you know, this isn't the kingdom yet. Like you're not, you're not in glory where everything is going to make sense and and signing your name on a vote is going to be a complete cosign. It shouldn't be, right? And um, I don't know, this is difficult. I think the bigger thing here is not, not even though who you're voting for or the system we're voting in, but it's more about the interpersonal relationships that we're seeing dissolve because of this. And it's just like – it's it, I just – it feels like every year is worse, right? Like every 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 four years is worse, or every two years if we count midterm elections. But like, man, it just feels like between 2016 and now, it's like ha- having a conversation about politics is so volatile that like, if you say anything that doesn't align with the person you're talking to, it's an end of relationship. Where like that's that doesn't. That's such a dumb thing to end relationships over. It's such a dumb thing to certainly end a relationship with a church over, but it's certainly a dumb thing to say like I, – I mean I know for a fact that when I started posting stuff about being sensitive about black and brown lives, that there are people who are talking to me a lot on social media who have stopped talking to me. And I just think it's like if that was the 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 bridge for our relationship, then like were we ever really in a relationship with one another? You know, And it's hard. The biggest discipleship thing that I'm trying to have, and we're going to talk about having hard conversations, but um, I just don't think there's a place in uh, Christian conversation right now for uh, being snide and being sarcastic and saying things with kind of double meaning. Uh, because what we're doing, and, and I heard another, I was listening to another podcast talk about this. Um, we have basically allowed. In the last four years, we have allowed the the rhetoric of somebody like the, uh, President Trump to lower uh, all of our you know our rhetorical devices down to his level. Because now what we're seeing is both sides are just returning zingers, uh, kind of in kind to one another. And and honestly, there's just no place, especially among pastors. I just don't think there's a place for it um, because what you're doing is you are sacrificing relationship in order to score some points. And I, I don't see that in the kingdom of heaven. 
Um, and, you know, I, I've had a number of people say, well, man, I wish we could vote. You know, we could I, I'm voting Jesus. So and, you know, my honestly, my response to that is like Jesus isn't asking for a vote, man. He's not a president who needs a de- democratic election. He's a king. Uh, and he's he's not up for reelection because he rules. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me in terms of like practical pastoring right now has been a lot of and it's hard. It has been a lot of uh, for me, it's an I'm trying to be unwilling to let that kind of stuff just go, because for all of my ministry and all of my time in church and life in a youth group and all that. Uh, what I've been told is, well, you know, we don't want to talk about politics. And I actually think that what we're seeing now is partly a consequence of that um, because we we don't know how to talk about politics. We haven't practiced talking about politics in the church, at least in my conservative evangelical stream of the church. I mean, I, I, I can't remember having a meaningful conversation about voting or political affiliation in 20 years that I've been you know aware of what's going on. And now it's like we don't know how to talk about it. And so we've just allowed the loudest, you know, voice to set the tone for the conversation. And it's not helpful. And, you know, I I had a conversation with somebody yesterday who started the conversation by uh, referring to the Democratic candidate as Hayden Biden. And, you know, I just had to remind them, like, that we're just not going to play that game, man. Like we're not part of that system that has to score those points. And I don't think it's funny and I don't think it's it's good for us because the idea of uh, part of part of the idea of the book of the liturgy of politics is we are becoming a kind of people by everything that we do. And if we allow ourselves to play the game of, you know, kind of outrage politics, we are not becoming a people who look like the fruit of the spirit. We're becoming a kind of people who look like angry, anxious, what's going to happen, fearful, name-calling kind of people. And that's just not who we're supposed to be. So for me, practically in the election season, it's been just a lot of pushing on people one-on-one to say, like, this this is not what we're about. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like flinging where our allegiance is politically. Because like we talked about, I mean, ultimately, what does that even really mean anymore? Like, what does it ever really meant in light of our king, you know, and I think it, it really, really need to realize when we say Jesus is king, that's a theological statement that if we push that down into our people, it will eradicate a lot of this conversation, you know, like it, it really should. And I think that like part of the problem is we have been passive behind the pulpit about this conversation. But we've been expecting them to live good and holy over here. And I think about it, it's kind of like um, just growing up, finding your boundaries as a teenager. If your parents, like just take alcohol, for example, I can't tell you how many teenagers I've seen who've, who've abused that because their parents never talked about it. It's just evil, wicked, you know, devil water in your house, you know. Um, but some of the parents, ironically enough, whose, whose children didn't drink it and weren't going off the deep end were the ones whose parents actually did drink it, believe it or not, but they taught them, this is, this is what it is. This is its purpose. Um, I'm not advocating either way. All I'm saying is pulling that conversation to the family makes it, um, you'd be able to handle it better when you're outside the walls of your house. It's the same way with politics. When we're passive about it behind the pulpit, our people are going to be active about it in the wrong ways outside of the pulpit, um, just leading up to the election. Um, one of the things that we're doing practically is just realizing that it's not going to be solved after the election. Like we may not even have the election results in, 
you know, for like what, two, three weeks with everything this year. So what we're doing is we're really locking ourselves to the Bible. And what I mean is the next two months at our church is pretty much expository preaching. Um, Pastor, we're about to do a series on Nehemiah as well. So we'll feel you in the spirit of Andrew, um, just going through that. And then right after the election, we're taking three weeks in going through uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Because in a world that's like everything is falling apart, Hebrews 10 is that encouragement toward the gospel. And he says some sharp things in there that we just can't get around. And I think it's going to offend everybody because there's in Hebrew 10, it says, stop forsaking the assembling of the people. You know, so we get to have that conversation. But later on in the same chapter, it talks about why are you upset when people are looting your house? for this is not your home anyways. So like literally it covers the whole spectrum of where we're at politically. And I think tying yourself to the word of God is going to give you the authority to speak into some of these issues. Whereas if we just go topical, not, I mean, if you're topical, that's fine. But if we just do topical, we tend to, to kind of go to where we need to go. Um, and we sometimes avoid these tough areas. So that's, that's what we're doing. I, I mean, I actually, Delmar, what you just said is kind of unique, though, because, like, um, the, the issue sometimes with expositional preaching is that you don't necessarily get to talk about topics that are in the culture. And so – and then and then when you have a church with a culture of expositional preaching, when you do talk about anything that has to do with the culture, you often get accused of, like, watering down expositional preaching because you're doing topical sermons. And so, like, like for example, we did a four-week series on race and reconciliation, and, and people, like, hated it because we're such a church of, like – Let's get in the book of a Bible for six months, right? But I, what I kind of like what I what you just said though is you actually. I mean, Matt Chandler says um, I like topical preaching when it's done ex- exegetically or whatever. Like, but but what I appreciate is like you actually have surrounded expositional preaching surrounded by current events in the calendar, and I think that like that is actually really interesting because you're letting the text speak for itself, but you're also addressing social issues or. Issues are going on around us that I think is 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 relevant. That's interesting. I've never actually thought about those two like ways of thinking about it. This is why I often think that the church calendar is very valuable to us. But um, but even the church calendar doesn't necessarily always address like civic issues and things like that. With that being said, uh, you guys, you know, there's one pastor that I think is the most moderate, you know, not moderate might be a good word, but the most like level headed guy that's getting raked over the coals right now is Tim Keller. And like Tim Keller has had some really like poignant stuff. What we just talked about, he said like, we as Christians should not be in the world of like trash talking the other side. And it's triply wrong for Christians. And what's interesting is like, I'm seeing these like these sites like just trash him and like i remember i commented which i shouldn't have commented <laughs> but i was like i had to do it i was like i said you really do be eating your own like we really do be like eating our own people like tim keller is beloved by like conservative reform people but all of a sudden he has like a a pretty centered response and he's just getting trashed i know i don't i don't understand it with that being said i think we delmar your clergy cliff note does lead to this conversation even even well about having good practices, having difficult conversations with leaders or even older congregants. I want to hear your your clergy cliff note to kind of end our time on clergy cliff notes about having these difficult conversations. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, we've been talking a little bit about like, how does that look like on the pulpit and like 50,000 feet in the air. But today we really want to um, switch gears and say, you know, how do you have these difficult conversations? And, and if I can even pigeonhole it even more, how do you have difficult conversations with people who who would you would consider an authority figure in your own life? And that can be great depending on who you are as a pastor. For some of you, an authority figure is somebody who might be the same age as your parent. Uh, for some of you, you have uh, politicians who come to your church, so they present themselves as an authority figure. Figure some of you just you have different people who carry themselves a different way, and and I don't know about you, but sometimes I can get a little nerve wracking when I'm interacting with these people, especially when I know it's about to be a critical conversation. Um, so I've just got um, I pulled up some something here on the Center for Learning, and there's five things that they suggest. But I would love to hear your interactions around these things. I'm just going to let you kind of feel them first. Um, so if you're going to have a conversation specifically with someone who uh, who is an authority figure, the first thing you need to do is um, you don't just roll into that conversation. You prepare for the difficult conversation by mentally being ready to walk through three different conversations. And the first one is really the what happened conversation. You know, like this is the thing that happened that we need to talk about. Um, the second conversation is the conversation about um, about the feelings. Hey, listen, explore your own feelings and say, hey, what emotions am I bringing to this conversation? What emotions are they probably having? And then the third conversation that you need to walk through with yourself before you walk into there is this, like, how does this situation threaten my own identity? Right? Um, like, some of us, we really struggle with, I'm the boss and this person needs to see it. Or some of us don't struggle with that enough, right? So having those conversations resolved before you go in there. Number two, check your purposes and decide whether or not you even need to raise the issue, right? Is this a hill worth dying on? Is it too petty? I don't know. I, we've all had the petty conversations when on the other side of it, you're like, I probably could have not fought over that. Um, the third one, is when having these conversations is start from the third story. So basically what they're saying is if we are going to have a conversation with someone in the leadership um, and raise that difficult decision, don't just lead with your viewpoint, approach it from a third party viewpoint. So that way you can hopefully remove both you and the person from it enough to where you can look at it a little bit more objectively and you can include multiple viewpoints. Um, I know a lot of people there say, well, tell me how it makes you feel. But sometimes like people in authority, they really want to talk in like, here's the thing, you know? Um, but once you get there, number four, explore their story and yours, because oftentimes conflict is we are bringing all of who I am and they're bringing all of who they are. And so when I'm stepping in to have that conversation, I, it's important that you state your own expectations and your, your intentions and feelings, but like leave space um, for the, the mystery. You know what I'm saying? Like the gap to get filled with what they have to tell you. And the last one, um, having these conversations, because one of the reasons we're having these conversations isn't just to have them. Like if you have joy, it's probably like not the reason oh, I just like making people upset. It's because there's a problem. So number five is this problem solve. Like let's work together on some things that maybe can meet the most of the concerns or the interests being brought up. So, uh, but the biggest thing that they kind of leave you with um, is, is 
Yes, we need to step into these conversations. We need to have them. But the tool of reducing your need to have them to begin with is very important. Because how many conversations could we have avoided if we'd have just had the important conversation first? You know, I can't tell you how many times me growing up, I was in charge of a bunch of life groups with students. And there was times where like I had failed to vet an adult leader. And then that adult leader became a life group. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I have to go talk to this person. And he's a deacon. You know what I'm saying? So like, I think it's important that we make sure that we're reducing the need for those conversations. But if we do, these are some things. So guys, I love to hear how you guys step into those conversations. I tend to fumble all over myself and get a little um, little hot and sweaty and, and like, like really choked up under the collar. So love to hear where you're at. I think to look at something like remove yourself from the situation, kind of what you were saying, look at it from the third story or the third party. But I kind of put, I try to put myself into situations of, okay, let's go back to pastoral counseling 101 or whatever basic psychology class that you're in. And if this is a case study, this is not me and this person that I know, but here are the two points of views in this case study. So you remove yourself and you remove the emotion from it. And then it's, okay, well, what does this person have going on? You know, am I feeling this way because I'm insecure about something else? And because I'm insecure about something else, I'm going to take that out on this. Or, you know, we, we had a situation with an elder not even two months ago that kind of, I kind of got snapped at for something. And I had the other elders be like, whoa, you know, what's, what's going on with that? And it was, well, no, this person has this, this, and this going on. And we were asking for them to go outside of their comfort zone in one area when they have been forced to go outside of their comfort zone when it comes to their job and whatever else. And so the response that I got was not a response to me. It was a response to whatever else was going on. So let's not, you know, my feelings aren't hurt. Let's move, move on. But I think when you try to think of things in terms of here are the facts, let's look at this, remove the personal side from it. Let's just look at what might be, what might explain somebody's behavior. And I think that gives you a way better just starting off point. Something that my wife and I say all the time is it's not an excuse, but it is an explanation. You know, here's, here is the explanation that is why, you know, one of our kids is acting out. Here's an explanation of why one of our friends is doing whatever. And it doesn't excuse bad behavior, but it helps us understand why they have come to that conclusion or why that behavior happened. Andrew, I think that's good insight because that's really something they throw around um, here at our church a lot. And that's the problem is never the problem. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah. I do do like um, the second point because whenever I have a conflict with someone, I often ask myself, um, like, why do I have a problem with this? Like, and like, like, what's my end goal with my problem with this? It's just like someone rubbed me the wrong way. Is it they're like, there, there's some sort of change I don't like. Like, is there actual sin here? Like, I, I, I try to, I, I think number two, the actual thing we're asking to do ourselves is have self-awareness and, and be able to ask those hard questions about ourselves. Because I think sometimes whether it's for attention, whether it's to, to be perceived as correct or whatever, like we enter into conflict and tension with other people when whatever the end goal is from that tension is not even worth getting into the conversation with that person. Um, I do uh, 
appreciate this actually like there's some there's some stuff in here that i i never even considered as a as a pro a way to process some of this stuff i do think though when you are in a situation with a person that um is whether it's a boss or someone that's in the position of authority over you as great as these things are sometimes like the biggest hurdle that you're gonna have to overcome is insecurity and fear like like um like i know I, I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share the, the 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 subject of the conflict, but there was a time where I had to talk to a person who was effectively my boss about a conflict I had with them, and I found myself in this position of um, powerlessness that led me to be emotional, and by me being emotional, the conversation didn't go anywhere productive, right? It just it, it just kind of inflamed the tension, and then I just realized I just need to end the conversation and like figure out a way to, to circle back later because I knew that even though I was trying to deal with the conflict, there was no way to handle the conflict well because I felt powerless and I felt like. I, I just felt like I was a child in that moment. There's nothing I could do about it. And so I realized I had to I, – I wasn't prepared to have this conversation because I didn't think through what's the appropriate way to have this conversation in a way that would be effective for both parties and that I could even realize in my own mind what is my end goal of this conversation. Is it just a vent? Because that's probably not appropriate right now. Um, is, it, is it simply to, to – you know? so th- that conversation is difficult when it's someone with, with authority above you. But I think oftentimes if it's just like a general congregate in our church and like there's a there's like an issue like you mentioned about like a, a, a leader that's moving up into this role of deacon or elder or whatever. That's like you have some issues with it. You need to deal with it. Like I think having the ability to kind of have this self-awareness to say, what is my own outcome that I desire in this? And then and like. Could there possibly be something that I'm missing? Like you said, the problem is not the problem. Like, could there be something that's that's here that I'm not aware of that I could speak into or be made aware of before I attack this problem that I think is the problem, you know? I think it's important what you said, the power dynamic piece of this. Um, the reality is when there's folks in our church who are congregants who have tension with us, in that setting, many of them – uh, are going to view us with a with a different level of authority than we realize. So, um, and there's a lot of c- cultural, ethnic things you need to be aware of too if you're in a diverse area. So, I I have some folks in my church who are from Africa, and I've had to learn over the last year that they will show a lot of deference to me that I don't expect from the Anglo's in my church. And when it comes to stuff like this, where there could be conflict, the way I speak to them uh, has to be a lot different than the way. I can speak to some of the Anglos because for the Africans, they really show a lot of deference to somebody that has a position of leadership. And so um, I think that, Frank, what you said, the number two point there about uh, my purposes and deciding whether to raise the issue is I think is maybe one of the most important things when you're a pastor uh, and you do sit in that seat of, quote unquote, authority, because, you know, Jesus was clear about the the uh, the way that we're supposed to uh use might be the wrong word, but the way that we're supposed to live into the authority we have as the pastor, he said, you know, the Gentiles lord it over, but that's not how it's going to be with you. Uh, And so I think for me, every conflict is an opportunity to die to yourself as well. uh, And ask yourself, you know, is this really just about me winning? Because if it is like I win by losing, uh, and, you know, dying to myself and dying to my need to be right, is the way that I set the tone of how leadership is going to be 
in my church because I think part of the role of being the leader is you kind of set. it's like being a dad uh, in the home. You kind of set the atmosphere and the spiritual atmosphere of the church. And if you deal with conflict by realizing that you are supposed to lay yourself down for the sake of others, I think that goes a long way in solving it. Having said that, I really think this is this article you shared, uh, Dell, is really practical and I like it. Yeah. And, and Jeff, kind of to take you and Frank and conceptualize of it, I think what I'm hearing a lot is like these conversations that we all have to have sometimes are only as healthy as the leader is. You know, if I go in there and I'm not even um, attuned to how I really think and feel, then I'm probably going to miss that conversation completely. Uh, so having those conversations, really, you need to make sure you're centered. There's a book that um, that a friend of mine recommended to me, and I've got it coming. It's called The uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader, and uh, it's by uh, Peter Scazzaro. I'm sure there's probably been some pastors here who have read this book. Um, but basically, the whole, the whole concept behind it is um, fi- making sure that you are emotionally healthy because you could step into it. Because when we realize the problem is not the problem, Sometimes if you state your tension and you're and you're super vulnerable, it actually can help neutralize that conversation and sterilize it. I'll give you a, a really good example. And this one, I'll be honest, it's, it's, I'm still a little embarrassed about it, but I think sharing it would be helpful. Um, uh, I, in the past, we'll just use that. I lost uh, my chair, my deacons. Um, he said he wasn't coming to church for certain reasons. And, uh, turns out the reasons were because he was church shopping and then he left and, um, he just quit like on the spot, resigned church, everything broke my heart. Cause I, I love this man. I love his whole family and, uh, I am a campus pastor, so I've got to talk to my pastor now. And, uh, I went to my pastor and I had all this anxiety in me. Cause I mean, you, th- I mean, that's like. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big thing when you're, when your chair just, just doesn't step down, but leaves and doesn't really give you a reason. Um, so I, I'm going to my pastor. I'm all super nervous because what am I going to say? What am I going to do? And, uh, I led into that conversation and he started to feel the anxiety coming to me and me trying to backtrack it and explain it away. And finally, um, I just, that book I recommended last week, emotional intelligence 2.0, uh, it kind of kicked in and I said, Hey, can we pause? Yeah. If you really want to know what's going on right now, I'm scared that I let you down. Like, like, and in this church, I kind of view you as like my father in a, in a way in, in the church world. And like, I don't want to let dad down. And I'm sad that I miss that we left this family. I hurt for that. And I mourn because I feel like I let you down. And as soon as I said that, his entire countenance towards me changed. It was I've received this wound in the past before too. And Dell, there's some leaders you can pour everything you want into them and you won't get it back. And actually it ended up going from a, a, a conversation of tension to like my pastor being able to pastor me. So I think like sometimes uh, there's obviously oversharing, but I think sometimes just saying exactly how you feel and what you actually fear, like I'm scared I'm going to lay you down and what that means. I think there's power in that. Thanks. 
uh, Delmar for that clergy cliff. Note. I think that was this was really helpful. All the books and the links to everything are going to be in the show notes in the description of the video. Um, make sure you check that out. Uh, this was really good. I, I actually would really recommend a lot of people not only reading these five steps of tackling difficult conversations, but like sharing them with other leaders that you have on your on your ministry team. Anybody who you have recruited in your volunteers or whatever that have to have difficult conversations, this is a good little list uh, to kind of process through. Uh, with that being said, that's going to end our time with clergy cliff notes. And now we're going to transition to our main discussion um, about burnout. And so James Sabin is the youth and family pastor. He's also basically the executive pastor at Kingdom Evangelical Methodist Church near Morgantown, West Virginia. He has a podcast called The Soul Keeper Podcast, a podcast all about how to avoid burnout in ministry and how to stay healthy. I sat down with James to chat about the signs of burnout, how to deal with burnout when you are in it, and how to fight against it. We will be back at the end to talk about the question of the week, but until then, enjoy this interview with James. Hey, James, how you doing? Hey, buddy. Good to see you, as always. Good to see you, man. We're going to talk about burnout. We're going to talk about, um, this is actually a request in the Practically Pastoring Facebook group. Someone asked specifically about burnout, and I don't know anybody better to talk about burnout and like how to, <laughs> how to deal healthy with burnout. Than, than you, you literally have a podcast about it. So, so I wanted well, to. I know uh, a lot of people better, but I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate so, that. <laughs> so, so we have a couple questions for you, and I would love for you to answer them however you would sure. like. Um, and so let's, let's get this easy. What are the signs of burnout? I think a lot of pastors, especially younger pastors, like people who are like you know under forty, who are just like grind, grind, grind. You know, they they watch the. Um, the Gary Vanderchick videos and they're like, you know, sleep four hours a day, do it. Yep. You know, you know, it's like, we often don't even know the signs of burnout. Yeah. What are this? Like, what should we be looking for in our own lives, in our own heart that possibly burnout is coming or we are already burnt out? Yeah. I mean, you said a, a, a really good thing right there when you said, because symptoms of burnout have become so normalized because of the culture of speed and more right and 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 so it is hard because we all like we all a lot of us are you know showing these signs of burnout and it's like well that's you know like we share a lot of people who who get to burnout you know that speed that you know nonstop a lot of the you know signs we're going to talk about are a badge of honor for a little while <laughs> until they catch up to you. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I mean, just some real quick, this is not exhaustive, but these are some like key signs. Some of them are really general. Um, I know I sent you kind of the list ahead of time. You saw them, you know, and some of them are a little more like, huh, you know, I need to think a little more deeply about that. If someone is watching this or listening, they do need to do a, a kind of a double take and go, you know what, you know, this isn't, you know, maybe this isn't healthy. This is something I've been, I've had for some time. So yeah, real quick, we'll jump in. Of course, like, classic fatigue. You feel like you can never rest. You feel like you can never catch up. Um, like no matter, even extra sleep doesn't help you for a time because you've just been nonstop. Um, that's just a simple one, but that kind of is more, it can be seasonal. It can be based on your ministry schedule. There's a lot of reasons why you can have that. So that's just more really just general. Um, I think more than anything, what starts to happen a little more th the significant than like physical signs are the attitudes that start to pop up. You know what I mean? And so I kind of, I'm going to touch on that a little bit more than anything, because that's the real sign that something's wrong internally heart-wise. And yes, like for me, you know, my story, and I've shared on my podcast with some, I mean, I, I, I kind of ran myself physically to a place of where I, I got Graves disease, which is hyperthyroidism. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I was, I went undiagnosed for three years. 
And so, which is crazy, but that's a whole nother thing, but that's what my lifestyle led me to. And, um, and it's crazy. So again, that's a whole nother side thing, but yeah, there are absolutely physical things that come along with this. Um, you know, but anyway, here, here's some stuff like an inflate inflated, um, view of oneself, like how important I am. Like it, it just can't get done without me. Now, some of this is just a straight pride issue, but when you really believe that, when you start to believe like it just can't get done, like I've created this, I'm the only one who knows how to do this, right? Um, that, that man, if I'm not around, it'll fall apart. And there might be some truth to that, right? And, and in some ways we talk about, we've probably created that environment and that's not the best environment, right? To lead from anyway. But, um, yeah, we have this inflated importance about ourselves. We're the only ones who can do it, and um, and really, we almost um, we almost don't don't like when either people offer to even help. Like, I got this. It almost feels like an insult. Do you? It, it gets to the place where you think, "What do you think? I'm not good enough. I can't do. It. You know, I can't do it." Like those things. And again, that's just one little thing, right? Another thing is we become like emotionally very angry, very cynical, and as pastors. Um, you know, our, uh, our demeanor, our disposition is supposed to be compassionate, gracious, patience, and, and, and people begin to get in the way, you know, instead of being those that, that we can love and we're called to love and see, um, see their value, see their worth, um, see them as someone, um, who's an opportunity, right. To experience the love of Christ through us, um, someone to actually minister to, we see them as someone who gets in the way of ministry. Like, don't you know, I have so much to do. Why are you bothering me with this? And for them, it's a real life thing and, and it's important to them and it matters because, and it should matter to us because they matter. Um, it also, you know, so instead of being like compassionate and caring, we become angry and cynical. Um, we think instead of thinking the best of people, we think the worst because maybe we've been used a little bit in ministry. And so we feel like everyone's trying to use us or get one over on us. And we just kind of always have that angle, that that kind of that bent when we, when we you know, um, experience other people. Um, the other thing that we start to do is we start to blame. So when things go start to go maybe wrong in ministry or people aren't responding the way we'd like them to, right? Um, students aren't responding the way we'd like them to in, in my context. Um, or even leaders, the leaders we're training aren't like doing, you know, we start to blame them instead of taking ownership, you know, for that. I mean, so these are just some attitudes that, yes, don't arise once in a while because everything we're going to pretty much talk about comes up in life at times. What you find is, though, when this starts to become real warning signs is they're just always there. They're just present pretty much all the time. Um, they become our disposition. You know what I mean? Um, and so people are like, man, every time I'm around that, that, you know, that guy or that gal, just, they're just like this. And so, so it just kind of becomes like, you know, it just becomes a trade-off for, for who we kind of maybe were to who we are now. Um, so we also talk about um, the thing that comes up is I start to, instead of seeing people as ministry, as someone to minister to and love, um, they become a means to an end. You know, they become someone I can use to get the job of the ministry done. Um, you know, again, you're always going to be tempted with that, right? We're always going to be, especially if you're an A-type personality, you're, you, you know, you're someone who's a go-getter. That's a temptation you're going to have to deal with. But it becomes like, again, it's, it's just like you always see it that way. Like you literally see people as a means to an end. And, um, and, and that just, be, and it just gets ugly. Um, and here's the reality. We feel that way, I believe, because we're treating ourselves as a means to an end. We're treating ourselves, we treat others as a commodity because we're treating ourselves as a commodity, which means we're someone expendable. 
And so we're really not, you know, um, loving ourselves and treating ourselves the way I believe God wants us to treat ourselves and the way he would treat, he treats us um, because he definitely doesn't see us as a commodity, but yet we're treating ourselves and others, of course, as a commodity. And so um, they're not, uh, people are to be nurtured, not to be expended. Um, so, and, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, I like to kind of give myself a, a reminder of this is um, just remember that people are to be nurtured. They're not a nuisance. So when we start to see people as a nuisance, go, uh-uh, this is someone I need to nurture. This is someone that, you know, I need to, I need to cherish, not have contempt for, because sometimes we feel like people get in the way and maybe leaders are hindering us from doing something instead of trying to build a relational bridge, right, to work through that. We just want to get rid of them. How can I, like, if you start thinking, how can I get rid of this person instead of thinking, how can I connect with this person? How can I understand? That's, you know, again, that's a temptation without burnout, but you begin to try and literally operate that way. Does that make sense? So, you know, those, those kind of things. So I just kind of have these little like sayings that I kind of sent you that, you know, someone not to have contempt for, someone to be cherished. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and then when we start to talk like in they's, and like in in like that's them and they, and this is like me and us kind of thing, right? If they if they if if the people we're called to love and minister to become them, that's we that language shouldn't exist. That that should not. They're not. It's not them. It's the incarnation is all about we. Jesus came to be one of us, and so we need to. I mean, you know, we may be a shepherd, but we're but we're also you know in essence we're we're sheep. And, and we're kind of sheepdog for Jesus. You know what I mean? Yes, we're in a shepherd role, but we are not the good shepherd he is. And so, and so you know, there is no, um, you know, me and them. Um, it's just us, and we're all in this together, and we all have uh, different roles in the ministry, you know, different roles in the kingdom. And our role just happens to be shepherd in, the case, in our case. But, um, no, this is us, and we've got to do this together. And we're looking to the good shepherd. We're looking to our father because we're a family, you know? So, you know, I can— going about that. But um, yeah, the other thing is we start to call ministry my ministry, <laughs> right? This is my ministry, especially in situations like if you're the founder, like, you know, for me, I kind of, I was the one who started the youth ministry here. There wasn't a youth ministry. I also was a church plant pastor a long time ago and, you know, started that. And, you know, sometimes I caught myself saying, well, that was my building because we, I, I found the blueprints and <laughs> I got the contractors and we built, you know, and you get into those things. And, it's just unhealthy. It's very egotistical. It's very prideful. Um, and, and we kind of leave Jesus out of the ministry there, right? We kind of, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, how we kind of are stealing his glory. Um, so yeah, I mean, we start talking like my ministry, my, like, this is mine. Like, you know, those, you know, these are my people like, no, these, this is all God's ministry and we're just his apprentices where whatever you want to call yourself. Right. We're just those joining him in his ministry. He's the one who called us to join him. We didn't call him. And, and sometimes that gets kind of backwards when you're um, going in, in, you know, going through burnout. Um, you start to call Jesus into your ideas. You start to call Jesus into your plans and uh, it's just backwards and, it, and it's messed, just it's messed up and it messes things up. So, yeah, of course, you can talk about some of the more physical things. Can't shut off. Can't wind down. We talked about that. But here's another thing. Is ministry what's driving you? Is ministry getting you up out of bed or is your relationship with Jesus? And, and, and watch this. And the love of ministering to hurting people driving you. Because a lot of times we don't see faces. We see like administrative tasks. We see like, I got to get up and I can't wait to go. And it's usually we mention tasks, right? And not people. Like, I can't wait to go see so-and-so, right? We don't, usually don't say that. 
They're just an item on our schedule. Does that make sense? Is that, you think that's relatable, right? And so, and so instead of getting up to go, man, I can't wait to see so-and-so. That's a different, that's a different view. And that's a view that, you know, that, you know, on the other side of burnout, I like to say, you know, now I kind of have that, you know what I mean? Like, can't wait to see so-and-so, even if it is a hard conversation, even if it is, you know, um, they're really hurting and we're going to have to pour out and, and share, you know, uh, the love of Christ there and, and try and bring some kind of healing or restoration or just presence. Right. Um, so yeah, like, you know, it's just like ministries driving us, like the, the, the goals we have and not, you know, not the people and the end game, which is, you know, sharing the love of Christ, ministering to hurting people, discipling those who know Jesus, you know what I mean? And so, and, and really, and, and allowing Jesus and that deepening relationship with him, you know, is that what we're getting up? Is that what out of bed for in the morning? Is that what's driving us? So, yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, like I said, if you think about it, everything I've mentioned, we all struggle with at any given moment, right? But like I said, it's, it's, is this, I mean, has this been the hallmark or has this been a hallmark for some time? Are these signs then symptoms that have been there for a while? You know what I mean? And sadly they can become normal and we can justify them. You know, I had all sorts of bad attitudes and um, that I'll, you know, I'll probably touch on here and as we keep going, but um, is there anything Frank that as kind of, I've been talking that um, sticks out to you or you're like, you know, yeah, no, yeah. this is, this is good. I mean, I think what I, what I appreciate is when we think about burnout, I think we naturally think of physical stuff. Like I'm getting tired. I'm being yep. irritable and things like that. But what I love is you, you, you mentioned like attitudes that I, that I often think we don't consider burnout, but we consider markers of a busy growing church, right? Where we look at, we look at like, um, like tasks more than yep. people. We look at things to accomplish and things to get mm-hmm. done versus, um, you know, there's a book. Um, uh, I have it back here. It's called it's called the it's called the art of pastoring, and it's one of those books where it really shifted. Like I think you know, entering into a mega church and becoming very very busy with a lot of the administrative tasks. Sure. That book kind of recentered me and realized that like our heart is to be a parable of Christ. We're to be an example of Jesus to our people, and when we look at Jesus, and and I know we both. Um, you know, talked to, read, read that book, you know, the, was it the unhurried, the unhurried life? life? Yeah. Sure, sure. And, and we heard Doug Fields talk about how, you know, Jesus was never busy. Like yeah. Jesus was never too busy for people. And and That's if right. anybody has a very busy ministry, it should be Jesus, right? <laughs> oh, he, yeah. he made time for people. And so I appreciate that because I think what, one thing we think is as we get busier into ministry or as we do more stuff that we're like, this is the new season we're in. And this is, mm-hmm. This is what we have to do. But whenever our hearts start falling away from caring for people the way Jesus cared for people, then that's a really good sign that we're on a path of, of if we, not to be melodramatic, a path of destruction because it's going to harm us. You know what I'm saying? So, so I guess my, so I guess my question is now is it, it, we see those things, we see the physical stuff, but we see the attitudes of burnout. How can I respond? If I see those attitudes of burnout or, or any of those examples of burnout in my own life, how should I respond to that? So usually what happens is kind of burn, burn, burnout catches up to you. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I know obviously there are stories of people who've kind of like, whoa, they were getting close. Like I do believe there's a, you know, I do believe there is a spectrum. You know, I do, you know, there's a continuum, like you can get to, you know, where like you're getting closer, you're getting closer. And then like, there's the wall or the cliff, like however people want to illustrate it, like there's a place where you pretty much get to where it's, it's water you can't control. 
and you are going to go over. Or it's speed, you can't stop now. And it's too late. You've tried to hit the brakes, but you're too close to the wall and you are going to hit it. And so there is a spectrum of reality with burnout there as I've continued to research and study on this and even my own experience that, yeah, I think at this place, if I would have figured this stuff out or you know, listened to a podcast like this earlier or listened to some warnings from my wife and other people close to me, yeah, I would have been able to stop before I hit the wall, right? Does that make sense? I would have been able to stop before I got into water that I couldn't stop in, right? And um, and so there is a place where you can't stop. And, th- and there's some places where it's just so, you're in that, you're just so much in it that you're just going to hit the wall and that's just what's going to happen. And so, I mean, for those who can kind of, they're on the front end of that spectrum. Yeah. I mean, it kind of really the things that are a little bit of avoidance too, but I think they need, to, the first thing is because it is an attitude that leads to the actions. They need to repent. Like we need to repent. We need to say, God, forgive me. We need to say, God, search me and know me like David and show me the ways in me that are keeping me from, um, from, truly living out the the shepherding call that's on my life in a way that I truly can love you and love people. You know, it's really about forgetting our first love. I mean, for me, that was the biggest thing. When after I hit that wall, I realized, man, Jesus was just like, I, I, I allowed Jesus to become a means to an end in ministry also. Now, I loved Jesus. You know what I mean? But, but in so many ways, I let him become a means to an end in ministry his ministry. And so, um, you know, so like there were so many attitudes that I had to repent of, but it started there first. I first had to go just to Jesus and say, I am so sorry. I've, I've left you in the dust. I've gone forward. And I mean, I, you're nowhere to be found almost, you know, except when I need you <laughs> and then come running up and help. And so it, I think repentance, and that's going to be slightly different for each person. Um, but it's just those attitudes that don't just sit, you've got to sit with the Lord in, in, in stillness and time and solitude. And you've got to sit with a trusted, a, a trusted friend, you know, whether that's a counselor, a, a good, a good godly friend that you have, a pastor, some kind of mentor. And you've got to say, can you just be real? Cause trust me, they see it. people who burn out. I'm telling you people around, you know, <laughs> like they know it's like, it's not a surprise that you burn out to them. Now they may not have said anything for whatever reason, right. For fear of, you know, conflict and everything, but they know. And, and uh, yeah. And some people like we talked about earlier, don't know because they're in the same boat. Like, I mean, I know, I know ministries that burn out together or there's just like this cycle of just like burnout, burn, right. We know just, just to keep, they just keep going over. And, um, and so you got to kind of get outside that culture and ask people from outside that culture to say, Hey, you need, you know, can you kind of examine my life? Can you, can you help here? What attitudes have you seen come up? What actions have, you know, showed those attitudes, revealed those attitudes that I need to repent of. So repentance is huge. And then, you know, so then I kind of saying it sounds whatever, but it, it's, it's, it's literally what um, Jesus, right, said to the church at Ephesus, do the things you did at first. Like, remember, like, you know, for some people, if you remember when you really came to Christ, what were the things you were doing? Like, it was enough just to like to read your da- the daily bread. <laughs> you got excited over the daily bread, if that was for some people, right? You got excited over that devotional that was your, that, you got excited of that one scripture that po- the first time like scripture started to come off the page, right? I mean, it was things about your relationship with Jesus. It was experiences that with other people, right? That you got to either share your faith or Jesus did this great, and it's a small thing, it seems small. Like we got excited about the little things and somewhere we got caught up in the ministry 
right? You get, you know, what I like to say, if you're a married person, maybe you can relate, you get caught up in the marriage and you forget to actually have a marriage with your spouse. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's kind of like the same way you just, and so what were the things that, you know, and, and, and it is, it's kind of like that, that David restore, restore to me the joy of my salvation kind of thing, which is on our, on our end. Right. <laughs> and so where we kind of like doing the things that remind us. Yeah. I mean, I know when I counsel people and you counsel people, especially when I counsel married couples, uh, I mean, there, there always is a place in that counseling session or sessions where I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and write me a list of all the things you love and appreciate about your spouse and all the good memories you have with them. And you got to see what happens to this couple that just like, was like, just like at each other. And all of a sudden they just, they just soften. And you know, there's a, there's an aspect of that where we've got to just, okay, what were we doing with Jesus? What excited us? What, what were the simple things about ministry that excited us? Right. Cause that's a part of it. That's serving. That's part of the, that's a huge part of the relationship. Right. But it's, the, it's the, it's the focus of doing ministry and how many times have we all heard this and just, but we have to say it doing ministry with him, right? Not for him doing ministry from the relationship with Jesus, not for Jesus. You know, one overarching theme I think that I'm getting from practically pastoring is the need for um, honest community as pastors. It's like, you know, there, I think, I think one at some point you realize as a pastor that like as great as your congregation is, you in, in in one way you work for them and in another way like they need something from you and so therefore the level of vulnerability is is limited and also risky depending on on what you're trying to do and the the the, the necessity of having people in your life who don't need anything from you who are also not impressed with you is so valuable and 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 and, and, and like being a pastor for for you know what 15 years now like i i know that for me finding those friends are difficult and, and and what's great is when you find other friends who are also in ministry and other pastors like like they get it because they're right there in the thick of it and so we can be very candid but also they can they can see through your crap right they can oh, see yeah. when you know like like i'm not impressed when you take a picture of your church because i know you, you cropped and edited all the bad parts of your church that's right that's a fact <laughs> so so like when you have those friends who are in ministry who can um who can really see you who you really are and yeah. and kind of call out what i would say like your shadow side like the parts that maybe mm, you're like not that. even aware of like yeah. that is important. But on the other mm. side of that, I love what you said. Like uh, Matt Chandler used to say, um, you know, find the things that stir your affections for Jesus. Yep. And like whatever that thing is, like go back to that. I think for so much as a pastor, um, the things that once stirred our affections for Jesus are become become routine and and almost like annoying because it's like this is what I have to do. But what are those things? And and you're right. You know, it, it, it might be cliche. It might be cheesy. It might be like listening to that one Christian album in silence and just enjoying it. It might be like watching, um, you know, like listening to another pastor preach that, it, you know, like it might be, it might be a number of things, but whatever those things are, like we need to get back to that. And I really appreciate that. Now we talked about what to do to mitigate it when we're in the midst of burnout or experiencing burnout or about to experience burnout. But there might be some people who are a either younger in ministry who are just starting out, or they're not. In a, they're in a good season. Their their church is fine. They're not being burnt out. COVID may have like slowed things down for them. Maybe I don't know. But what can we do to prevent burnout? What is the what is the um, the mitigation, the front end to make sure we only get near that burnout um, on the back end? 
Yeah. So, um, and really, I actually say this in like I think I said it in my fir- in the first podcast I did for Soul Keeper, but the, like the main heart behind Soul Keeper is this right here. Like to is 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 for to to help you know anyone in youth ministry, whatever level, if they haven't experienced burnout, you don't have to like not to. And that's literally the heart of Soul Keeper podcast. And for those who have experienced it or, or maybe right in the middle of it, hey, let's let's get through it, right? Let's get through it. There's hope, you know. But I mean, I mean, really the. the the way is is not to wait till you get there. The way isn't to like just keep doing what you're doing. It's on the front end now. Create rhythms in your life that will keep you from burnout. If I would have created the rhythms I've had that I currently have lived in the last four years now, there's, I mean, you can't say that you you won't burn out, right? I mean, but there's a really good chance I am not going to burn out again. <laughs> like a really good chance. Does that make sense? Like like you don't have to get burned by the fire too much. <laughs> to, you know, to, to not, to, you know, to, to not, you know, keep getting burnt by the fire. So, so yeah, I mean, so there's a really good chance just because of the rhythms I've created in my life. And so when I say that people go, what do you mean by rhythms? Right? Because, you know, a lot of times we create rules, we create these real measurable kind of things. And and I say the measurable things kind of, they create a pass fail environment. You know what I mean? And they create this pass fail environment, even in our hearts, right? Like I begin to fail like a fail, like, and then, and then that creates like, well, I just might, well, I just might as well quit. I might as well not do it. Right. And, and, and Jesus doesn't really, you know, work in quantity. You know what I mean? Like quantities, like, okay. So for example, like I'm going to spend an hour a day reading the Bible. All right. Well, why not two? And then if you do two, well, three's better. I mean, where does it end, right? Like, and then if, well, if I do, well, then I, I do one and I hear Matt Chandler does too. Well, I feel like a failure. I mean, you can't work in quantities. It just, there's no win. Nobody wins when you work in quantities. But you say, but I'm going to devote my more, some, a huge aspect of my morning to the Lord. Like first thing, I'm going to devote my time to Jesus. And for me, it's, you know, how long does it last when I'm done? But I will tell you, it usually lasts between 45 and it's gone up to two hours. And it's just, I wake up early, I'm up early and I just devote, and I've lived that for the last four years. And I just spend that time with Jesus. And I'm like, I can't, I cannot, I know I can't sacrifice that now. I had to learn that. I hit the wall. I've learned, right? I know I can't sacrifice it. And so, you know, a, a huge part of my rhythm is for me, I'm the morning person. So someone's listening, they go, well, I'm not a morning person. Okay, well then, is it the afternoon for you? Is it the evening? There's again, there's no quantity on this. <laughs> it's kind of how God's wired you. If you're an evening person, somewhere you've got to devote some real time to be kind of knee to knee, eye to eye, you know, with Jesus. And again, whatever that looks for you, you know, do that. Um, a rhythm of like, even a rhythm of my schedule based on my biological clock. And I actually learned this from Carrie Newhoff. I took his his class on this, but anyway, you people can, you know, look up Carrie Newhoff and, and, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to probably do a podcast on this on my podcast on kind of how to create these rhythms in your life. Um, but you know, a rhythm of like, what's your biological clock? If you're a morning person, you know, try and set your schedule to do all your creative stuff, not your administrative stuff, not emails and stuff like that, but all your creative stuff. Like if you're doing messages, if you're doing podcasts, whatever you're doing, do all your creative stuff when you're most creative. When ideas are flowing, ideas are coming, do that stuff. If you're a morning person, knock it out in the morning. If you're, you know, just when are you personally, you know, when are you kind of flourishing at that time? Do those tasks then. 
And then for me, like, so for me, it's usually in the morning, I'm setting those kind of things. Um, and then as I get closer to lunchtime, it becomes a little more administrative. Um, after lunch, I'm setting up like meetings with people and email because that's when you're at that, you know, the three o'clock kind of just, you know, just trudging through. And so that's when I want to meet people because as I start to meet with people, the conversations give me, give life back to me even like I find my energy lifted up. And so I, I set meetings, you know, with people that way and even counseling and stuff. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, just kind of those kind of things. I won't get into all that, but just gives people an idea. You need to have a Sabbath. There's got to be a Sabbath in there. That that rhythm of, of rest first, then work. You know what I mean? We don't work to rest, but we work from rest. That's huge. And, when, you know, to realize that I never did that until I burn out. Didn't even think about it. Um, I, I never thought about Sabbath. For me, Sunday was Sabbath when we were. That was Sabbath day. <laughs> never thought anything about it. And, you know, and so... Um, yeah, but you got to have a time. I don't care what day it is. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into all again, like a qu- you know quantities about number, but but yeah, I mean, it's got to be a, a big gap of time where you can where you can just kind of shut down and shut off and get away. And I always say three things should be in your Sabbath. Um, it should be relationship with Jesus, relationship with others, and some kind of recreation or not a rest and rest. You know what I mean? And those not in that order. You know what I mean? But and so however you want to do that, all of those things can be at once. Sometimes just but your Sabbath should include some of that throughout your day, or at least one or two of those key things, of course, throughout your day. And I talk, you know, talk more about that another time. But, but that kind of stuff, and just rhythms with family, you know what I mean? Rhythms for work, you know, just when when do I shut off? And 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 guardrails. So there's that kind of stuff. Like I'm creating like kind of guardrails, like you know, from so here to here, like you're not going to find me at nine o'clock. You're not going to be able to text me unless it's an emergency. I might look at my phone at ten and go. All right. You know, and if it's you, Frank, I'm going to probably, you know, I'll pick up and text back, but, you know, I mean? but, <laughs> but, but, you know what I mean? But really like, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to be available. You know, that I have to give that time. I stole enough time for my family for too long. I can't do that. So on the front end, I, I want, I want, you know, I want young, um, you know, pastors um, to not, if they have a family to not have to say that. I don't want them to say, looking back, man, I, I stole so much time for my family. And so creating the rhythms where this is family time, this is work time, this is play time, this is, you know what I mean? And, and it is, and it is a rhythm. And, and for the last four years, I, I mean, it, it's, it's just, I'm in such a healthier place in every way. I mean, Frank, you, you're around me, you've been around me a lot. I'm in a much healthier place. And um, my family life is, yeah, it's just so rhythms, not necessarily rules. And yes, we need some of the, we need the guides, we need the guidelines and the, but but it's establishing this rhythm with Jesus and with ministry and with others and family and friends that um, is just huge. And, and it literally is. I mean, everything that if you look at God's creation, it's rhythmic. If you look at even our, it's rhythmic and it'll speed up at times. It doesn't mean like you, you don't have seasons where the rhythm speeds up. Yeah, your heart can handle, right, a higher pace. Yeah. But it can't handle it there constantly. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. rhythms are good, and even like up tempo rhythms, no problem. You can have seasons, right? Not don't feel bad if you got to work hard. I've I've got plenty of seasons where I have to uptick. There are some seasons you you can get take a little downtime, but there's it's always beating. There's it's always there. You know what I mean? It's always happening. So anyway, yeah, I mean creating those those rhythms and like listening to, I mean, the Carrie Newhoff thing is just golden. Take his class, take his class, go to his website, 
take his, I don't know off the top of my head, but if you go there, it's like one or two or three of his classes, you'll find it, how he schedules and how he did all that. It's, it's actually, it was, a, it was a lifesaver. If you enjoyed that, uh, that segment with James, make sure you go check out his podcast, the Soul Keeper podcast. It's really, really good. And uh, in the link uh, below or in the description, the links uh, uh, everywhere else, you can find information how to get in contact with him, whether it's on Facebook or Instagram and things like that. Uh, before we go into the question of the week, uh, Andrew, is there an update with Tim and how Tim, he's doing Tim, 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 update. There is an update. So if you are not a Hollywood Studios regular, you might not know that to get on the new Star Wars Rise of the Resistance ride, you need to be in the park when they open. There's a thing that you do on your phone on the app. Well, they did not get in the park on time for that. So then a second time during the day at 2 o'clock, uh, you can try again. And once again, their family did not get in. And so they were devastated. Tim, you know, Tim's got five girls and one little boy. And Aaron, his son, who is the biggest Star Wars fan of them all, was just devastated and they gave them passes to get right on to Slinky Dog as a, we're so sorry, you can't go on the ride, you actually want to. And then someone came and found them and escorted them to the front of the Rise of the Resistance line. I asked him if they gave him a reason why. He said no. But so what turned into, what started out as the, you know, they don't get to go on the ride they want to, but they get to go on the second best ride. Well, now they got to go on both. So wow. just man, Disney, you t- ruined a kid's day and then you totally redeemed and, yourself and then totally made it better. <laughs> and that's just Tim for you. They were late to the park because he had to get his workout in before they left. So and he now could his cutoffs. And, and now his family Come got on, dude. two no weight line experiences all because of it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that sounds He's like a, privilege. It's Tim it the is. golden child. <laughs> Tim is the golden child. And Frank, you went there. Uh, I know. I think it's actually more like privilege because I think he has that that really fancy Instagram account. He's they're probably like kind of yeah, like uh, that's what it is. It's- let's see. Let's see. All right. According to my watch, because Tim and I are accountability partners with Health, he has only burned three hundred and twenty of his seven hundred forty activity calories for today. So Tim, um, we will be having you. I guess he's standing in line. He's not he's necessarily doing Tim, a lot of lines. Tim, walking. you need to make the uh, the princess rounds. That'll get those steps in, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, so here's the question of the week. Um, what is the worst Christian movie you've ever watched? Well, here's <laughs> now my my parents met at Bob Jones University, and back in the seventies and eighties, Bob Jones had a film school, and they would produce movies called Unusual Films. That was the name of the film studio coming out of bob jones so in my pre-adolescent fundy days there were some awful ones and i think they might have gotten worse as time has gone on i don't know like god's not dead was was bad in the sense that like it caricatured people really poorly like right like i mean i went to uh, i don't know it's just like i never first off i don't think any any student should stand on the table and say, God's not dead. As if like, as if like that is like the greatest apologetic argument you could ever make, you know? And, and also like, I don't know. I just feel like a lot of these movies mean well, and they, they have good intentions, but like the executions is poor, you know? Um, I mean, the, the, the greatest bad. Yeah. The only, I mean, the only Christian film that I really enjoyed besides Braveheart was passion of the Christ. 
you know? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Maybe that's not Christian. Um, As I was scrolling through my Instagram during our conversation, um, I follow – or I think Relevant Magazine had might, a thing. But you might need to take a break. You might have an addiction problem. I might. But <laughs> but Relevant was saying uh, with an interview with Jim Caviezel, it, like this is posted since we've been talking, that Jim Caviezel and Mel Gibson are in works together for a sequel to The Passion of the Christ. Oh. So uh, oh. this is What's it called? The, the Ascension? I, I, I can't imagine. It was uh, – What would that even be? Why did Jesus age 20 years, Jim Caviezel? Could you answer us that? I, I have no idea what it's going to be called. <laughs> but Breakfast on the beach. Um, so Frank, too. Yeah, Breakfast on the beach. That sounds great. It's a Nicholas, so Nicholas Sparks meets Mel Gibson kind of movie. Also, a good, on the also, beach. also a good band name. Um, so God's Not Dead was not great. But, you know, How being you? in the download youth ministry world, <laughs> every now and then – uh, Doug and Josh would be asked to. Wait, wait, wait. I just do realized that things. anything we criticize right now, we're never going to get sponsored by. Oh, yeah. somebody's offended. Well, I just, reali- <laughs> I just realized. Canceled. I, go ahead. Go. Go. Let's just go for it. We're, Tim we're, and I. Tim and I were asked on behalf of the founders of Download Youth Ministry to watch an early screening of God's Not Dead Two for them, and then write a small group curriculum based God's on still it. Still not dead. And so, yeah. God's really not dead this time. And so it was the advanced screening copy of God's Not Dead 2. So, like, you know, there, there was none of the music in it. And it was before they edited it, edited it down to be a little bit shorter. And it was just, I wish it could have been a drinking game because that might have made it more fun. <laughs> and I said to Tim jokingly, I said, if there's a post credit scene, I'm going to lose my mind. And there is a post credit scene in God's Not Dead too. To set it up for three. To set it up for the third one. Yeah. I think the I think the post credit scene is the pastor's like showing up at his house, and he gets all of his previous sermon archives subpoenaed because uh, this was when the, <laughs> the when the the mayor of Houston was. That's trying a cliffhanger, to, boys. Yeah. But so it was. <laughs> I mean, it was the longest two hours of my life. This is like a great test for this. Uh, for your clergy cliff note, Dell is when somebody cornered me and said, "Hey, pastor, we really should do a church outreach of showing fireproof." Ooh. And I was like, uh, "Did you I say wanna. I? Lo- I love dare you not to." I said, "That's an idea," <laughs> and then I moved on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, God's Not Dead was the first time I saw a Christian movie, and I was like, "We will watch and consume anything with the name God on it," and. I'll tell you one. I saw the preview and and I I did not watch it. <laughs> when but you, I'm going to go ahead. When you said that, I thought you were saying that like a declaration. We oh, no, will no. watch any of this. We will watch. <laughs> but, no, <laughs> no. I, all right. I saw a preview and I didn't watch the movie. But I'm going to go ahead and say it's the movie I hate the most of all Christian movies. Just going to go ahead, even though it's just based on the preview, because you and I know. The previews of Christian movies pretty much give away the whole movie anyways, except for the last 20 minutes. And Andrew and I were talking earlier, and you can pretty much guess it has to do something with that. Now, I'm sorry, and I will choose to accept you in my heart, Jesus. That's pretty much how those end. But, like, it's the movie um, Breakthrough. Do you remember that one? It has the girl off of This Is Us in it, and her kid falls through the ice. Yeah, and like, I remember that's pretty recent. It's like, a, yeah. like in the past year, right? Yeah, that's the, 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 last, I, I, the last one of these I watched was the football one. 
which is like the they all just run together after a while. Yeah, no, no yeah, whatever it was, the one with the football. Blindside. No, and the and the guy that the coach made him like do the crawl all the way across the football field. I go anyway. That's the last one I saw. And so when the rest of them have come out, I've been like, yeah. I'm just dumb because the breakthrough and I saw the preview and she's standing beside her kid. To which, let's be honest, most of these movies tap into your kid is dying or someone you know is hurt. Like, of course, that's going to make me cry. And now I associate emotional with my kid dying with this being a good movie, which is a really jacked up bar. Right. But I also think like she's sitting here, she's praying. And I was like, this is the most inauthentic scripted prayer like some secular atheist college student, if I was going to ask him to write a prayer, this is what it'd be like, dear Lord, Holy Jesus, will you please send your Holy spirit in right now to empower my son to make it? And I'm going, this is, Oh yeah. That's how a broken woman who thinks her child's about to die, but you know, it's all the right cliche things are in there. And I was like, ah, I'm going to put that. That's my number one hated one. And I just, I can't even, I can't even watch it. I just want you to all know that Shania Twain plays Jeremy Camp's mom, and I can only imagine. Yes, which I and, did see uh, that one, actually. Man, I feel like a woman. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm optimistic that there will be, like, good Christian movies one day. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know what it will take and what it will be. Based on like, what, though? I think I think that, it takes this what, to get those. I think you, I, I the reason I'm based off is I think there are like Christian producers and directors and writers who want to yeah, make films, but they're not but, making Christian movies. They're just making regular good movies. Well, I think it's one of those things where it's going to be like a passion project. Like it's going to be like an indie film that like after like someone makes their million dollar Marvel direction, like they're going to be able to like go over here and be like, I'm going to make this indie film. That's going to be an accurate portrayal of something about the Christian experience that isn't like horrible or awkward or cringy. Um, but like, it's, I mean, uh, it's come, I don't know, but Holly weird might not let it happen. So we'll see what, what happens. So with that being said, um, Hey, if you're listening to this, I want to know what your worst, your, your least favorite Christian movie is. Um, maybe this is too cynical. <laughs> maybe we should frame in the pod. What's your favorite Christian movie? So we can just talk about, I don't know. Veggie Tales? Coco? I just want <laughs> yeah, you to know that uh, Coco. <laughs> we've discussed my love of Dawson's Creek on this show. And Katie Holmes is in the new secret movie. It's the secret part two. Um, <laughs> I don't sequel? know. If, <laughs> what I, are we talking I, about? Now? I have no idea. I just, I'm not going to see oh. it, but. Sure, hey, right. if, if you're listening to this or watching this and you have a favorite or least favorite Christian movie, I want to know why it is, what it is. Um, or if you know of a Christian movie that we haven't talked about that's actually really good, and convince us. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll spend $10 on Amazon to watch a movie that might be potentially good. No one else might. We might can watch it together and do a live review of it. Yeah. A reaction. Ooh, I, Mystery I like Science reaction. Theater style. <laughs> I love really mystery funny. science theater. That's I'll the, bring my Calvin's commentaries. That's that bonus content that people spend ten dollars a month on Patreon for. Is the there our, you our, go. our hey, live Del, reviews of movies? Dell, that was a weird flex, man. <laughs> hey, man. You know how you know how we got to do it. We got to do it. All right. So with that we being said, thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> Please subscribe wherever you are listening to this. Give us a five star review. Smash that like button on Instagram. All that kind of good stuff. We would love for you to follow us on social media. Uh, join the Instagram, get us to 500 so we can start giving out shirts, join the Facebook group, all that great things, um, because those are where the conversation continues. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. 
I am Jeff Simpson, and you should watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Mm. <laughs> I am Delmar P, and I am just in the most awkward mood today. Sorry, guys. I'm Andrew Larson, and I'm not going to be watching The Secret Part 2. Yeah, and Tim uh, is, is, uh, is Timothy Miller is enjoying Disney right That's now. That's pretty good. And we gotcha. are practically pastoring. See you next time. <laughs>